Hey, Mac, when does deer season start? Well, if you want the best deer herd possible, Lanny, you need to start right now. Right now. That's, That's why right. we're starting our promotion. I mean, we've got a deer season starts now promotion on plantbiologic.com where you can pick up our Game Changer soybeans, our forage soybeans, and our spring protein peas. While you're there, you might as well go ahead and pick up some brassicas like our final forage and winter bowls. Yeah, stock up for the cool season planting right now. Listeners to the GK Podcast, if you use coupon code GKPOD, you can save an additional 10% off our entire selection of warm season, cool season, and clover food plot seed. Get started today and visit plantbiologic.com for an unforgettable fall. Hey, this is Mac. Checking game cameras is one of the many pleasures I get from gamekeeping. OnX helps keep track of my camera locations to be sure I'm getting the information that I need to make the best decisions for the wildlife. Try it out for yourself and see. Use coupon code MOSSYOAK to save 20% on your OnX subscriptions. Know where you stand. Hi, I'm Jeff Foxworthy and welcome to Gamekeeper Podcast. If you want to learn more about farming for wildlife and habitat management, then buddy, you are in the right place. Join the Gamekeeper crew direct from Mossy Oak Land Enhancement Studio as they discuss the latest wildlife and habitat management practices, news, and of course, hunting. There's no telling what you'll learn, but I'm going to tell you, I bet it's interesting. Enjoy. We're live in three, two, one. All right, everybody, welcome once again to West Point, Mississippi, home of Mossy Oak and the Gamekeeper Studio, Hercules. And Lanny is standing up, at, at, uh, not sitting in a chair, Lanny, and you're, but you're smiling, so you're not in a whole lot of pain. What's oh, no. going on? Oh, just, you know, a little old age kicking in. So I'm down in my back, down and, in the back. And you how, how did right you? Right in the middle of food plot planting season, and I can't ride a tractor, so I'm kind of bummed about it. Yeah, well, how did you get here today? Uh, I mean, I did ride in a truck. Was the, was the drive agonizing? Yeah. Did you see how long it took me to get out of the truck? <laughs> I didn't know. I, ro- I rolled up all the doors in the back. In the oh, yeah. I was still like trying to get my leg out of the truck. So. Yeah, I but, did. I did notice that. The yeah, old bulging disc. Yeah, it's cramping my food plotting, but... You know, proud to be here. Well, we can turn the couches uh, upside down and try to gather up some quarters and send you to the chiropractor. No, no, no. I, I'm doing my own uh, kind of healing process. Okay. Well, I walked by here the other day and the lights were out in the, in the room here and you were laying on the floor. So I figured something like that was going on. <laughs> you know, yesterday I was laid in the floor stretching with the lights off because everybody thinks I'm dead when I come by and I'm laying in the floor. So I just think you're lazy. Yeah, <laughs> yeah everybody knows I'm not lazy. I hope so. <laughs> No, you're you're the sleeping on the couch guy. Oh, whatever. But, no, yeah, I, 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 I don't sleep on the couch. Yeah, but I don't Good sleep point, on the podcast, you know, <laughs> Richie. I have the lights off. But so, so I see some guy walking by, and lights are off here. He's walking by, and he looks in the studio, and I'm there. I'm like, like doing everything I can to get up off the floor, you know. And I'm on my knees. I'm grabbing the couch, and I'm standing up, and boom, he comes in the door. He's like, are you Lanny? I said, <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> I said, I'll listen to the podcast. Just wanted to shake your hand. And then left. I don't know who it was. And you were still laying on the floor? No, I, was, I had gotten up, but I was on shaky ground, to say the least. Oh, you know, man. It's kind of funny. Well, hopefully your back gets better. It will. We'll get her We'll get her tuned up. Yeah. Well, I, it's awkward seeing you stand up there, but... Uh, You've been looking at me a long time. Yeah, you look... Uh, you, look, look you don't look like you're in pain. Most people wouldn't be at work. I'm proud of you. Thank you, Dudley. I appreciate that. I can't... Uh, I can't can't not be here yeah it is an exciting place dudley what about blood on the biologic this has been a busy week 
It's been a busy week. Uh, I don't think there's any blood on the biologic from our office staff. No, but, we've been working. Yeah, we've been working um, too much. I know a, a former employee and a longtime friend, Jordan Lasuzo, his son Steele, shot a doe. That was a really, really cool picture. That was picture. his first deer, too, wasn't it? Yeah. It was, it was a great photo. Yeah. yeah. So we're real proud the, of Steele. The, the toothless smile is always, it's <laughs> it's always, always good. Great. Yeah. <laughs> he tagged a couple gators this year, too. So he's on the Louisiana path for game success. Yeah. How old is Steele? Uh, Steele is going to be... Nine, maybe? Yeah. Nine? nine. Yeah. Eight, nine. Eight, eight or nine. Well, good for him. That is, that's awesome. I saw the picture. It was great. So, yeah, there's been quite a few uh, animals killed. There's a young man here in town, Ben Pearson, killed a doe a few days ago. Saw that. Backstraps on the ground. And then uh, there's some young men from Meridian, their brothers, Justin and Jacob Irby. They have both killed really big deer with their bow in the last couple of weeks. Who is this? They're from Meridian. From Meridian. Yep. And uh, they, they've killed some really nice bucks with their bows. Uh, but one deer weighed almost 250 pounds. Wow. Nice. What's yeah. their names again? Justin and Jacob. Justin and Jacob. Early. Er, well, Irby. Irby. Yeah, they're, they're from Meridian. Yeah, there's some Irbys from that neck of the woods. Yeah, they're great people. Their dad's a really nice guy. So, uh, and moving on, Mark Jury. Did y'all oh see what gosh. he did? I mean, it's almost like watching... Alabama play football, <laughs> except for this weekend, I guess is the best way to put it. Yeah, his the second largest deer of his career, 200 and I think 13, maybe 16 inches. It's just a giant. And I think he showed up in some radishes, didn't he? Showed up in some biologic and deer radishes. Deer, deer, yeah. deer, hey, man, deer liking radishes, don't they? They absolutely do. <laughs> yeah, that, I mean, is that like a archery typical? I mean, it's got to be close to some kind of record. I don't well, think he puts any of his – Deer in the books. Okay. Now, you know, I kind of asked that same question because when I first got the text from him and it said 216 typical, my mind went to, oh, my gosh, that's but that's gross, not net. Okay. And so it, I think he said it would probably net in the 180s. Okay. I don't think you ought to count anything but gross anyway. Yeah. If yeah. God's if he grew it, it, you get to count. Yeah. I, you know, I don't Nets disagree are for with fishermen. It. Pardon me? Ah, oh, got it. Or for fishermen. <laughs> yeah, okay. All right. There we go. <laughs> well, Hashtag that one over John Wayne. Couple yeah. of couple of things for uh yeah, we do have a new intern. Yeah, over we got here. a new intern. It's John Wayne some, Jack Collett. He's got some, a long name. Yeah, fresh meat. Fresh meat. Yeah, he is. Uh what a name. He's not talking much. Oh <laughs> well, yeah, I don't think he has a mic. Oh, okay. Get, get yeah, the man on mic. But we're glad to have him on board. Yeah, yeah well. You know, with, uh, with with listening, shaking your head, Jack, doesn't uh, really let our audience know that you're excited or anything. Hey, so. no, I'm excited to be here. Oh, that's good. So, so Bobby tells me he's got you on a major project where you're taking a 40-pound bag of feed and counting the number of seeds in it. Yeah, we started that today. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we really did. So if anybody looking for an internship or counting seeds in a bag, give us a holler. Yeah, we got to scale out. First project. <laughs> put the bag down, zeroed it out, uh, separating all the seeds. One. <laughs> <laughs> all right, well, look, a little housekeeping. Uh, just, I was just excited to say we've got 17 subscribers to the podcast Boom. now, so we're moving on up in the world. And there were a couple of guys that left reviews last week. I wanted to call them out. One of them especially, when I did that list of the rifles, yeah. I somehow left off the 3030. 
Oh, and he, the venerable thirty thirty. Yeah, and and so uh, one of our listeners named S. Hurley said, "Hey, what about the thirty thirty? And I just wanted to say that I don't necessarily think about the thirty thirty because I think about bolt action rifles for the most part mm-hmm. when I'm thinking about rifles. But a thirty thirty has has killed a lot of deer. Yeah, I think I don't know if that would that be the predecessor. I know it's a smaller caliber, but I mean thirty thirty was the go to before what thirty all six. Uh, they're different. I think they're all they're different. You know, it's got that bigger rim on it, and I mean, it's made for I'm a lever gun. Used, used a lot. Yes, yeah. I think so. That was the. I think that lever action thirty thirty was the deer gun of choice. Yeah, was the go to. Yeah, uh, sure yeah. Before the bolt action, yeah. Really before the bolt action, thirty out sixes and two seventies. I've just, i just never shot one. I've never really thought of it being a long range rifle. I always think of it as being like inside eighty yards a or something. Rifle. But inside one fifty, probably. Yeah, but it's uh, definitely. I remember seeing guys. I you put it in the vitals. It's it's a dead deer. No, clearly. Yep. So look. Uh, S. Hurley. I don't know what your first name is, but don't I'm, forget the thirty thirty. Because you left that review, I'm gonna send you a Bertucci watch. Ooh, nice. And then there's another guy that I really liked his review, and we we don't have to like them. We just look at these reviews and no, we, we we depend on them is what we do. So. But um, but he said, hey, y'all's podcast helps me get through the workday. And Lanny, that one kind of struck me because I know how tough it is to get through the workday. Because oh, yeah, I hear you. Our workdays are so tough around here. So do if, you listen to your own podcast? I, I don't. To but help maybe, you get through the day, maybe we should. <laughs> <laughs> but so, uh, but Monroe sent that review in, and so Monroe, I'm gonna send you some Leopold sunglasses. How about that? Where does he work? I'm jealous. We probably don't need to talk about that. Yeah, I don't. I, I don't know where Monroe. Do you know <laughs> somebody named Monroe? Because I don't know anybody. Don't named. I, yeah, Mike so, would know somebody named Monroe. It might. I, I know somebody named Monroe Cooper. Is it Monroe or Monroe? I don't so, know. However you want to pronounce it. I mean, it. I just read it. So <laughs> so there's probably going to be 10 Monroes trying to reach out to us about some glasses. But anyway, you two guys both win a prize for your reviews. And uh, moving right along, Mac, have you got a commercial for us? So I, I do have something I want to talk about. It's not necessarily a commercial, but I was looking the other day at our Mossy Oak Breakup Country DNA, and that is just some good-looking camouflage. I tell you, man, you know, we're all lovers of bottom land. I mean, there's no question about it. But what the guys in the development lab are able to do with these patterns now will just blow your mind. It looks like you can touch nature in these things. It really does. It looks like you're holding a mirror up in the woods and pointing it down. You know, I hate to use the word, but I think y'all understand where I'm going with this. It's the prettiest pattern that we've had. It is. I, it's I, I mean, it just looks so realistic. <clears throat> yeah, it does. The look colors realistic. are just fantastic. So a guy could go to mossyoak.com and then scroll over. There's the word. There's like there's like categories, and one of them is camouflage. And you click on that, and the first thing he'll see is the DNA, I think. And it you can get a good look at it there. It's real clean and crisp, and I mean, it looks like you're in the woods. I mean, it really is. And and then the name Country DNA, you know, it, it's it's not about where you're from or the place you visit, but it's I mean, who you are, and I mean, it's, and that's what it stands for. And so I think it's a really really cool pattern. 100. percent I mean, we all know hunting is a. I mean, to me, it's something I can't live without. You know, it's a it's a. I think Ben did a good job saying it's a visceral, you know, kind of thing. So, yeah. 
country DNA. That, that one's going to be around for a while. Yeah. So, okay, Mac, thank you. And I would encourage people to go check that out. It's really cool. And Lanny, uh, you've got a letter from a former employee that's gone into the military now. He's at basic training. Well, yes, tell us yes. about that. Old Coon Tune uh, sent Chris, us a letter. Yeah, Christian, Christian Cleveland. He did. Uh, his dad works here. Uh, we had a chance to have him around the office and uh, this summer, and we told him to write us a letter from basic camp. So this is what we have here. You okay. I'm going to read it verbatim. And he's about 18 years old. Yeah. He's is green. he 18 yet? Maybe. maybe. Everybody, but he's right out of high school. Yeah, everybody yeah. loves Christian. He's a, good, he's a great guy. So here we have Dear workers of Mossy Oak. So he's definitely not talking to you about <laughs> Yeah. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> Everybody but Bob. Uh, y'all told me to write a letter to read on the podcast. So here it is. Did he say y'all? <laughs> yes. Oh, how this about is that? verbatim. Basic training is hot, but not near as hard as hot as the biologic warehouse. <laughs> 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 I'm homesick, and I miss my family and my coon dog. Tell Cody, Dave, Mac, and Dudley, and Miss P, and all the Christies, we have several Christies at work here, that I miss y'all and can't wait to see y'all again. And anyone I didn't mention, stay cool, love, Coontoon. All right. right. There he is. What a great letter. What a great letter. So we're thinking about you out there, Christian. Yeah. I can't wait till he comes back. We'll put him in the pallet wrapper and wrap him up again and knock knock him down. (laughs) And we like doing pranks on him. Well, he's a great young man, and he's over there trying to do something good for his country. He's serving the country, which is yep. great. We appreciate his service. Appreciate everybody's service out there because it's a big thing. Yeah. yeah, it really is. Yeah. So he's over. He's been there about a month or so. How yeah. long will he, he be there? He's, he's all trimmed up. He's got his military haircut. I saw a picture of him. He looks like he might, you know, weigh one hundred and fifteen pounds instead of one hundred and ten. <laughs> <laughs> oh my goodness! Well, good. Well, thank you for telling us about that. So, so I'm looking at Mac, trying to get him ready. We've got a guest here today. Our, on, the, on today's episode, we've got. It's going to be a lot of fun. It's going to be really interesting. I think people are going to be amazed at the stories and hearing about all this. Lanny, you've known him a yeah, long time. Yeah, known him a long time. He's a fixture in, in the fisheries department, of Mississippi State. Before you know, he started doing what he's doing now, and he's a long time friend and a, and a great person. Yeah, he, he sure is. So, without any further ado, we're going to introduce Dr. Marty Brunson. All right, <laughs> and he's uh, uh, Marty. I'm gonna, I'm going to try to. Do my best. You, you've got so many awards. I was reading about it in in your bio, but you started out and you you were at Mississippi State a long time with the extension department, and you kind of specialized in fisheries and fish pond management, and you've done a lot of that sort of stuff. But you have won so many awards, and then as your career escalated, you kind of got tapped to run Catch a Dream. It seems like you've been doing that for a long time now. But we are just so thankful to have you here, and and it means a lot what you do. And absolutely. And uh, gosh, why well, just when I. When when I look at it, I, I, I kind of get chills. I've heard so many, you tell so many stories about these kids that y'all are helping. It's just fascinating. Thank you, Bobby. It's great to be here. I feel like I'm back home. And yes, sir. as Lanny said, we've known each other a long time. And uh, I remember when Lanny was a young guy, did not have back problems. <laughs> this is pretty back problems. <laughs> That's exactly how right. We do go. But, uh, well, yeah, I've, I've had the privilege of being around a little bit. And then you neglected to say I served on the foreign mission field for five years. At a place oh, wow. called LSNU. Got to come back to my, my alma mater, Mississippi State, a long time ago and was on the faculty there for quite some time. And then Catch a Dream was conceived and literally I got called into a whole nother line of uh, endeavor and calling in life. And the rest is history for the past 20 years or so. Well, they picked the right guy. I tell you mm-hmm. that. Yeah, they re- they really did. I mean, well, you 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 live you walk the walk, so to speak. And the last time I saw you, you uh, you 
put a whooping on me in a boat and, <laughs> and, and, and really taught me how to use a Carolina rig. You, you caught, caught a really nice fish that afternoon. Well, you know, the old saying, blind hog always finds an acorn every now and then. And, uh, that's kind of what happened that day. Just, just sheer luck. And now, Lanny, I'll say this, and I can't <laughs> say where, and he may deny it, but he is the only person I've ever met that has held a 16-pound bass in his hand. That's pretty serious. Yeah. Had that privilege at least once. Yeah. And he will not He will not tell you where. <laughs> he said at least once. <laughs> wow. Uh, I will tell you where I caught it. I caught it right here and now. And then the corner of the mouth. Okay. Absolutely. Yeah, I had, an, I had an old-timer buddy that when, when you would ask what he was fishing with, he would always say green-eyed grasshoppers. Yeah. He, would, he would never say what he was yeah. catching them on. Or just a gob of worms or something like yeah. that. I asked one of those gator guys we ran into a couple weeks. I said, where'd you catch him? Talk to myself. He said, right there in the belly. <laughs> <laughs> so those great big heavy female fish like that that are in their teens, do they fight as hard as a, as a younger fish that's seven or eight pounds? Well, my experience is not extensive. I've only caught, you know, a dozen or so over 10 pounds in my life. But my experience is they don't. They're, they're big, they're strong, but they don't last long. Yeah, uh, kind of like uh, old timers, you get get a little overweight. You know, mm-hmm. as good as good once as ever was maybe. <laughs> I resemble that part, <laughs> but but no, they 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 carry a lot of weight, some resistance at first. And like this big sixteen pound plus fish you mentioned, uh, that was a thirty second fight and then a two minute drag. Mm. You know, literally, you just feel like you're pulling in a log. Right, because they, they're old and they're big and their physiology has changed and. They're, they're more sluggish than a six or seven or eight pound fish, at least in my experience. When that fish boiled up, your heart had to just jump out oh, of your yeah. chest. Oh, yeah, I knew without a doubt. And it was in a lake that I was very familiar with. I helped the landowner design. And his previous record, I think, was about 12 pounds, 13 pounds, which is admirable in itself. <laughs> yes, it is. And when this fish rolled up, I looked at him and said, this is your new sta- your lake record. He said, oh, no. I said, oh, yeah. And, oh, yeah. <laughs> and it, it certainly was. And by the way, it bested my personal best at that time by seven pounds. At that time, my personal best was nine pounds, 15 ounces. <laughs> so just to give you a little perspective, it's not like that happens every day. Holy mackerel. Yeah, 16 is, I mean, 13 is almost unheard of. And Well, yeah, so today while we, we were preparing for this, we had a guy that was on here. I think you may have heard him, Shan O'Gorman, who was yeah. on here talking about ponds a few mm-hmm. months back. He sent a picture to me of a 13-pound largemouth that a friend of his caught in a, a pond in Florida. It was big, deep, dark, yeah, dark gorgeous looking pond. fish. fish yeah. And uh, but he he Marty he said he caught the fish on a swim bait that would look like a chub sucker. Yeah. Are you familiar with that? Is that a, a minnow or? Yeah, I had not seen the bait that you're talking about, but a chub sucker is a member of the sucker family. Actually, the catastomids, as I recall, uh, most of us would just call it a sucker. They'll be from three to four inches up to maybe eight or ten inches long. Twelve inch would be a really big one. But there are people now managing lakes, at least here in the southeast, using them as a forage fish, and that may be what happened there. Yeah. Uh, kind of a trophy bass management approach where chub suckers are stocked. Their reproduction is not so much that they'll overpopulate. They do get up to eight or nine inches, which is really good forage for the big fish. And the really neat thing about them is they don't have spines like our bluegills do and all of our sunfish. Mm. So if you give a big bass a chance to, to eat an eight or nine-inch bluegill, or an eight or nine inch chub sucker, he's going to suck down the chub sucker every time because it just slides right down. Mm. So it's a great forage fish, 
great protein, and I'm not surprised. So I guess I've just always heard them referred to as suckers, not necessarily the chub part of it. What did you, didn't you say the scientific name or something? It's the catastomid family. Catastomid day is. Yeah, we were talking about it earlier. As I recall, but maybe Dudley was looking it up online there. Well, look, so let's move off of that. Thank you for that explanation. But please tell us a little bit about Catch a Dream. Okay. Well, Catch a Dream very simply is a children's wish granting foundation. It's now 21 years old. And it came to be in late 1999 when our very good friends at the Make a Wish Foundation established a national policy that we're all now familiar with that said no more shooting. No more consumptive use, outdoor activities, that is, no more shooting and no more hunting. There was an outcry around the country. Mm-hmm. Outdoors men, women, and outdoors-minded people said, hey, that's not good. We don't like that. And many decided, hey, let's do what we can to discredit Make-A-Wish. The world's largest and oldest children's wish-granting foundation really took a lump during that period. And by the way, they made that decision not out of any disparity related to hunting or fishing, but out of political pressures. We all are aware of the antis, anti-shooting, anti-hunting, anti-whatever. Those folks got to our friends at Make-A-Wish and said, hey, you do this and we don't support you. We're going to bring forces to bear. So Make-A-Wish made a political but also a good economical decision to kind of move away from that very, very small percentage of wishes they did on an annual basis that involved the things that we really think are important. Mm -hmm. What that did was open the door then for the outdoor industry, that's us, by the way, Mm -hmm. to step in and say, you know, we should have been involved in this all along. So Catch a Dream, a program to stand in that gap, was conceived in late 1999 by a gentleman who was from Mississippi here that many of our listeners out there may remember, Bruce Braddy, who wrote An Outdoor Life for 30 years. I grew up reading his stories. A couple of you probably did. Bruce hunted and fished all over North America and wrote about that. And we lived vicariously through Bruce's stories. But as Bruce was dying with cancer, he learned of this decision on Make-A-Wish part and said, someone needs to stand in the gap. Why not us? So Bruce shared an idea with a few of his friends. Didn't live to see it to fruition, but that small group of friends, which included myself, fortunately, were able to muster some resources early in the year 2000, conceive of a program we would call Catch a Dream, And our very first corporate sponsor helped us put it on the map. That very first corporate sponsor was none other than Mossy Oak. So Toxie, Bill, Daryl, those folks Mm -hmm. in in leadership at that point said, let us help put Catch Your Room on the map. And thus, for the past 20 years, we've been making a difference in the lives of hurting children and families across the U.S. and Canada, 365 days a year. It's an amazing story. It is. you know, when you when you there's some little numbers here about the number of kids that y'all have taken on on some of these trips, and uh, so this the, uh, a family if a, if a kid if he if he's wanting to go uh, elk hunting, y'all figure out a way to make it happen, and then right. the family gets to go along and be there as well. It, it's just an amazing, amazing. It's got to just feel so good to everybody involved in that. Well, it does. And we realized early on that we need to be more than just a trip granting agency or a travel agency. We need to be a change agent. So we decided we're going to seek to impact the whole family because we realized very quickly that when a family has a child with a life-threatening or terminal medical condition, everyone is affected, not just that sick child. So we include the entire family on these trips. Now, only the child may do the hunting. And certainly on fishing trips, everyone may get to fish, but we include the entire family because this is a family affair. And this is an effort to give them the opportunity to take a break. As one of our young men once said, to have a vacation 
from being sick. Mm. That's a classic quote from Trace Manning, who, by the way, fulfilled his dream hunt with none other than our friend Toxie Hayes. That's great. Alabama, yeah. Yeah. almost 20 years ago. But that's our purpose, to give this family a break and an opportunity to be normal and to be away from all the rigors of the hospitals and the needles and the gowns, and to do that in the outdoors where they can see the wonders of the gifts we've been given and understand that there is a hope. Mm-hmm. with a capital H, and there's a reason to wake up tomorrow and to continue the battle. You know, I, just knowing the hunting industry, uh, there's probably no shortage of people offering their resources in, in terms of places to go hunting and fishing. I would yeah. think you've got plenty of those kind of opportunities out we there. We have a lot. Actually, more than we can use in a single year, but that's good because we have opportunities and capacities to put children and their families in places that most of us, some of you in the room may be an exception, but most of us could never dream of being. And literally it becomes catching a dream of many sorts. We can put them in some really, really neat places and hedge our bets in some cases that an experience is going to be consummated in the way that we want it to be consummated. Yeah, sure. And I guess you can't just, not just every hunting lodge or, or fishing facility, it's probably, they've got to probably have some special capacity capabilities that was yeah, the word i guess i'm absolutely. looking for so we, that we call those who help us out outfitters although they're not always commercial outfitters but they they need to understand what we're trying to accomplish they need to also be able to accommodate a child and maybe a mom dad and a couple of siblings and a very specially trained volunteer that we call a host who goes on every trip that's part of our model so they need to know this is a special scenario situation it's not a fly-in friday night hunt saturday morning pop something in the freezer and fly home sunday it's it's quite a different thing. So we we vet all potential outfitters or experienced providers, walk them through an orientation process so that by the time they are signed on, if you will, and they're in our stable, they truly get it. That's G-E-T. They get the mission and the vision. And from there, it just works. So, right. Yeah. Lanny, you look like you had a question there. You, had a- I, you know, I just I'm just sitting here pondering, like, you know, if there's there's. Anything that's, you know, closer to anybody that's an outdoorsman, this is it. That is the best way I could put it. So I wasn't pondering reflection. I was like pondering how we can do more mm. is the best way to put yeah. it. Yeah. So it looks at, looking at the numbers, it looks like y'all have done trips in just about all the states. And if I'm reading this right, over 700 children have been recipients of y'all's that's right. Kindness and, and, and efforts. And that's just amazing. And then when I re, when I do the math, and I'm not the best at math, Mike will tell you. No, you're not. So, uh, <laughs> But at the expense of each one of these trips, it's millions of dollars yeah. that you guys are, are spending. It is, yeah. We spend a lot of money. We have to raise a lot of money, and that's something I spend a lot of time doing. Uh, we do a lot of different things. We are a 501c3 foundation, so every gift is deductible, as they say, to the extent allowed by law. But we're constantly looking for new ways to generate the resources because our job is to make a difference and to deliver a program. The program is not fundraising, but like anything mm-hmm. else, it requires the resources. So, yeah, it takes a lot of resources. We spend between five and $7,000 out of pocket on the average for each child trip. Because we pay every single expense right now, the parking in the airport, every happy meal, every steak dinner, mm. you name it, we cover it. So mom and dad incurs zero cost from the time they leave their home until they get back safely at home, close the door and start their week sure. after their trip. So how somebody listening to this, how could they donate some money to you guys? 
We have a lot of ways to accept money. One of the easiest ways is to simply go on our webpage, catchadream.org, click on donate, and there's an online form. You can do this just as a straight gift. We have a lot of folks who donate money in memory of a loved one. That's one of our most popular means of donation. Just last year, over a quarter million dollars was given to us in memory of loved ones. One individual in New York, one lady designated Catch a Dream gifts in lieu of flowers for her husband and his co-workers generated over $45,000. That is awesome. That's awesome. Catch a Dream. One memorial. So there are a lot of creative ways that can be done. We certainly have fundraising events in communities. We call those Friends of Catch a Dream events. Some of those have become fairly large. Others are relatively small. Uh, Or just use a text message. You can text CADF to 91999 and voila, I get a link and there's the donation form. Click in and give us a penny or give us $100. Every single penny counts. We try to be very good stewards of everything that our friends give us. And, and you guys have seen what happens. We want to invest it in the children and families and, and truly make that difference. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, I tell you, if a guy had some money to send, you, it, it's all going to go to a good cause, every, every bit of it. Right. Or if, if you're in a group, like I, I know some of the fraternities and sororities support Catch a Dream. Um, but, you know, you could, you could have some kind of dinner. And, and give the funds away to catch a dream. Yeah. Yep. Yep. My, be, be creative with it. Just my, last night, ironically, my wife came home and they bought two chances to win a, a I think it was a side-by-side That's K&M right. or Polaris yeah. or something like yeah. that. Yeah, Polaris, Polaris side-by-side. We're giving that away in November at an event in Eupora, Mississippi. Big city. Oh, yeah. Uh, one of our largest single dinner events each year. A group of men called Mississippi Sportsmen for Catch a Dream do this every year for us. And it's an $80,000 banquet, just a general family-style banquet. They generate $80,000 on the average each year for Catch a Dream in in a county of only 3,000 residents because they get it. And you can't put a price on that experience. You can't put a price on that. We take that for granted when we get to go whenever we want. And uh, this is is their uh, dying wish. Yep. This is something we want to make sure happens, and we only get one chance. So we right. want to do it the right way and the bestest way right up front. And our friend Mark Jury and Terry Jury, they, they work with you guys they, a lot. They are big-time uh, supporters and certainly behind Mossy Oak and all that Mossy Oak's done for us over the many years. I'd say Jury Outdoors has been our biggest gorilla in the room. Uh, we had a, a little girl from Alabama in the blind with Mark just two weeks ago at his Iowa farm, and she mm-hmm. killed a 160-plus-inch bruiser. Yep. With, wow. a, with a 350 legend that will air next summer on the show called 13. So, yeah. and all those friends, all those shed antlers. Wow. Oh, the, the dream sheds program. Uh, we could talk a long time about that, but that's generated a half million dollars for us over the past 10 years. That's shed antlers from Mark and Terry's farm. They simply autograph, send to our friends at Whitetails Unlimited. They put out through their banquet circuit, every Whitetails Unlimited banquet through the Midwest and the East Coast has one dream shed to auction, and those things sell for a lot of money. One sold for over $12,000 a couple of years ago. Isn't that amazing? And that money accrues right back to Catch a Dream. It's, it's easy for us, but, boy, it's a great way for others to be part of what we do and, and, and to support White Hills Unlimited in that case. So, Well, it makes you proud. I tell you, the hunting oh, industry steps up. The, the hunters and fishermen step up when called. Uh, I mean, we, we say it happened time and time. Oh, of course, again. super proud, you know, of, of Marty and what he's done. The fact that he's in Mississippi, he's Mississippi State, 
obviously we're a big supporter of this thing from the get go. We'll always be so. It's a it's a, a shiny spot on everybody's resume around here. Yeah. So Marty, through the years, I've gotten to hear you tell some stories that just kind of make your hair stand up on your arm. And I was hoping that we might could get you to tell a few of those to us. Well, I was kind of hoping you would remember one or two, Bobby, and I could give you a little quiz and see if you could well, recite it. But well, I, I'll I, just let you fact check me. How does that sound? <laughs> uh, you know, yeah, you're right. There, there's, there's a thousand stories. And, and, of course, some seem miraculous. They're not necessarily miracles. And, and, and these things don't happen on every trip. But the really neat thing about this, as I've told a lot of people, is when you have the right people doing the right things for the right reasons, amazing things do occur. And the Lord has blessed that, those efforts uh, one of our very first miracle kind of stories was back in 2002 or 2003. We did a caribou hunt in Alaska, literally our first caribou hunt. And the uh, child was successful. And, of course, this is Alaska, so I'm not there. But a few days after the trip was over, the outfitter, name was Mike, called me and said, hey, I just want to share something with you. He said, you know, we had a, had a scare on this hunt. He said, we were out there and, and, and had a herd of caribou. This is on the Revelation Range in Alaska, pretty remote. He said, we had a herd approaching us there on the tundra. We're in the wide open. He said, you know, there's, there's no no tree to climb out here or bushes to hide behind. He said, they came up and we tried to get a shot and just couldn't pull the shot off with this 13-year-old boy. And they spooked. He said, they literally, this whole herd of bulls just took off running directly away from us, went down a bluff and literally across a canyon. He said, we got up and, and went 100 yards and looked down the canyon and half mile away down the canyon, they're running away, and I just turned to the group, and I said, okay, it's over. He said, you know, when caribou spook on the tundra, it's over. He said, but I had no sooner said that till they all stopped. They turned around, and they started running right back our direction. <laughs> he said, so we scurried back, and here they came back up over the top of the bluff, literally ran up, stopped 30 yards from us. And one of the bulls turned broadside, and, and the young man you know, just killed him right there and made it happen. And he said, I'm going to tell you, caribou do not do that. <laughs> he said, I don't know what happened, but I watched I know. <laughs> a half mile away down this canyon stop and turn around and come back. I said, well, Mike, I don't know about caribou, but I do know that when you have the right people doing the right things for the right reasons, amazing things can happen. So that's just one. That kind of got those stories. And I know you've heard that one, Bobby. Yep. So I yep. told, have told that a number of places. Yeah, so there was a story that you told one time about a big old burly man, and um, it was in Missouri, and they were on a deer hunt. And you know, hopefully, I'm jogging your memory about this, but yeah, something yeah. happened at the, the angle of a rifle, and then it, but it, it not only had an effect on that child, but it had a really strong effect on that on that that uh, that man. Dad, yeah, can you yeah. tell that story? Absolutely. The big burly guy was a friend of ours named Bill Roller, who was the ranch owner of the place called Little Flat Creek Ranch, where we've done a lot of hunts over the years. By the way, we met Bill Roller through Mossy Oak. Again, another one of those connections at one of the fundraisers you guys did for us years ago. But uh, a short version of a fairly long story is we were in a deer blind with a child who was in a wheelchair, an 850-pound wheelchair, fully mechanized. This child was paralyzed from his neck down. He was on a heart machine, a feeding tube, and a, a respirator. He was on life support, literally in his wheelchair. He had had an accident and had broken the same part of his spine that Christopher Reeve, Superman, had broken. Okay. The same exact accident. So he was totally paralyzed. But the way he 
would shoot is his dad had fashioned a vice onto his wheelchair. And by the way, the weapon of choice was a 30 30. S. Hurley would appreciate that. Yeah. Absolutely. It was a lever action 30 30 with no scope on it. And the way they would shoot is his dad had fashioned at this time, this was 2004 or five, had fashioned a pneumatic trigger. Now, these are now manufactured, but his dad was a machinist and also a gun guy. So he fashioned a little finger that, that fit into the trigger guard, and it had a tube that came out to an electronic trigger, and he could stick a straw in little Joe's mouth, and Joe could simply go and suck, and the gun go off. So he could pull the trigger by sucking through this tube. So that's the scenario. So we have this 850-pound wheelchair and this vice and a gun sitting in it, and the only way they could aim is for the wheelchair to go up, down, right, or left hydraulically, then dad would be behind Joe's back, looking over his shoulder, aiming those open sights and moving the wheelchair. If you can imagine this whole apparatus, that's the way he aimed the gun. And on the range at 50 yards, they're shooting two-inch groups the day before. So it's everything's set. We get to the blind, and we have this wheelchair. We have our guide, Bill Roller, the ranch owner. We have Joe and his dad. We have his mom and his two teenage sisters and me. In a five by eight foot blind. <laughs> Y'all are all in there. We're all in there. Okay? That was one of the deals at Bill Roller's Ranch is I want everybody in the blind. So, and there's only one with direction you can shoot because you can't move this wheelchair around after you get it done. There's three windows, but only one window you can aim out and hope that's where it happens. So we work for 15 or 20 minutes to get everybody in. And it's it's September-ish. It's, it's warm like it is out there now here in Mississippi. And we're all sweating. And we close the door. Literally, I remember, we are all wiping our brows, and it couldn't have been two minutes. And Bill said, there's deer. And we look up, and here comes a buck walking out of a little thicket right down a little little trail out to where we were set up. So, you know, the dad's moving this wheelchair around frantically, and Joe's sitting there, and he's getting excited. And the way this sits is Joe was only eight years old, kind of small, and he couldn't really see out the window, but it, the rifle's up a little higher, and his dad can aim it. So it marked the dad is getting all this set, and the wheelchair is going and moving around and, and the deer keeps walking and he got up about 60 or 70 yards and just stopped and and Mark's still moving around and Bill's the guy saying are you on him Mark says no not yeah boom suddenly the gun went off oh. I mean gun went off without anybody saying shoot and as the gun went off Joe begins to cry just just frantically crying and saying oh I didn't mean to shoot he was hysterically crying what he didn't know is what we saw we were watching the deer when this gun accidentally went off and the deer hit the ground like a rock. <laughs> well, Joe didn't know it. So he continues to cry. And Bill Roller, who Bobby, you may have met at one time. Bill was a gentleman, Southern Missouri gentleman. He says, well, Joe, you shot, didn't you? No, I didn't. I, just, I didn't shoot. And the whole time his dad is raising this wheelchair slowly. So ultimately he's going to see out this window. Bill says, well, Joe, you're the only guy with a gun here in the blind. Of course, what had happened is Joe had this straw in his mouth, and he had hyperventilated. He went, <laughs> he got excited, and he yeah. sucked in, and the gun went off. We knew that. Well, as Joe's cheers moving up, he's still crying. I didn't shoot, honest. I swear I didn't shoot. And Bill says, well, Joe, you had the shot. You're the only guy in the blind with a gun. I didn't shoot. Man. I did. I got it. <laughs> and lo and behold. Changed his mind quick. The deer's laying there stone cold dead. So as we got out, went over, and we always cleaned the deer up and do our, our photography and a hero shot. 
And we're sitting there posing, and Bill Roller leaned over to me and says, Marty, you know what? This deer's a direct result of a DGB. I said, oh, yeah, yeah. Well, I don't know what a DGB <laughs> yeah, is. Yeah, of course he is. But I'm going to pretend that I am. <laughs> yeah. Of course, Bill had already known me long enough to, to know that he needed to push the button just a little further. He says, you do know what that is, don't you, Marty? I said, Mr. Bill, not really. He says, that's a divinely guided bullet. He says, you know, that rifle was never actually aimed at that deer. Hmm. Well, as we examined the deer, the bullet went in right behind its ear, literally, right behind the ear. Not behind the shoulder where, where it should have been named, but it went right behind the ear, and obviously it was a one-shot immediate kill. Yeah. Divinely guided bullets have kind of become the norm, it seems, hmm. in catch dream experiences. And Bill Roller, who's now deceased, we lost him last year, bless his heart, coined the term. We've used it quite often. So I think that's the that's story it, you're that's talking it, about. The, the hair yeah. on my arms yeah, just standing too. up. <laughs> yeah. it, 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 uh, Mac, I'm glad you got to look. I told you it was some good stories. Mm-hmm. Now, I mean, and, and there's more. I know there's more. Oh, and, oh yeah. Lanny, you've been on a uh, – you helped out on a I, I got lucky, you know, and got to help out early on when we were first getting started. I can't even explain – what you get out of the experiences. I know it's for the kids, but what you get out of these things, volunteering and attending them, you get more out of it, in my opinion, than they do. So uh, it's a, it's just a wonderful thing. Yeah, it, it really is. So what, t- tell us, is there another one you can tell us? <laughs> yeah, well, there's a lot more, but I'm going to tell you one more about little Joe. Okay. The day before his hunt. Remember, Joe is eight years old. He's, he's totally paralyzed in the wheelchair. It's from North Florida. We're sitting at the lodge the night before, the first day they got into camp, and, and Joe's quite a character. You know, he, he says, uh, Mr. Marty, do you know the longest word in the English language? This is an eight-year-old kid. And I said, well, I don't know, Joe. He said, well, you know, my mom and I looked at your resume. You're a college professor, aren't you? I said, well, sort of. <laughs> he says, well, you should know the longest word in the English language. I said, well, I don't know. What is it? Supercalifragilisticexpialidocious? He said, oh, no, no. He says, anti-disestablishmentarism. <laughs> I said, oh, really? He said, yeah. He said, can you spell that? I said, well, probably not. He said, well, I can. And he did. I won't try to spell it here, but he did. Yeah. And then he said, uh, well, do you like to turkey hunt? You guys will love this one. Do you like to turkey hunt? I said, well, yeah. Are you a good turkey hunter? I said, not really. I turkey hunt a lot, but I don't kill much. He says, well, I don't get to turkey hunt, but I'm, I've won some calling contest hmm. i said really like lanny just did hmm. here's a paralyzed kid winning a turkey calling contest and I, i'm i'm immediately thinking okay mouth call diaphragm i said okay so use a diaphragm he said oh no no i use box call i said really i said that joe how do you use a box call he said i'll show you mom can you go to my room and get my call so his mom leaves, comes back in a minute. She has three or four things. She has a little lap board to lay on top of the arms of his wheelchair. She has a box call, which in a couple of pieces of Velcro, and stick, she sticks Velcro to the box call and to the lap board, if you can imagine that, and then secures that box call to the lap board right in front of him. Now remember, he can only move his head. He can't move anything else. She takes a visor and puts on his head a little piece of Velcro and a little, about a six-inch or eight-inch wooden dowel just a stick in that little loop. So here's Joe with a visor on his head and a stick sticking off the visor and a box call sitting on the table. Well, you can imagine what's about to happen. She took another loop of Velcro, put on the, the end of the paddle on that box call. Joe bent his head down. She stuck that little stick in that loop 
And Joe starts moving his head and he goes, <laughs> and you know, my ears are not great. So I can't tell if a turkey call really sounds good. Mine just probably didn't. But everyone in the room turned their head and said, where'd that come from? Mm. So here's a little eight-year-old boy working a box call with his head. Mm. Amazing. And he did this in North Florida as an eight-year-old working a doggone box call. It's amazing. amazing just, yeah. just quite an inspirational young man. Wow. Yeah. I'm kind of speechless. So when I think about all the people that you come in contact, all the lives that you touch and you help make you know events occur for them, it, it it's got to be so rewarding for you, but it's also got to be tough. It can be tough, but you know, I like to tell folks this. Folks ask me a lot, Marty, how do you do it? How do, how do your staff do it or your volunteers? Well, it, here's my recipe. If you're called to do something, you will also be equipped. And, you know, we're called to do this, and it makes it really easy because it's it becomes a part of who you are and what you do. So it doesn't matter what it is in life you're doing. If you're called to do it, and if you do what's required of you to be ready, I think the Lord will equip you. And I won't say it's always easy, but it's always easy. It just comes naturally, and that's a part of it. And there's heartache, but also there's joy. You know, we've been to, we've been to funerals, but we've also been to a few weddings, high school graduations, and those are neat too because not all of these children pass away. Some survive, and more and more, thank goodness, due to modern technology and yeah. cancer research, survival rates are higher and higher. So we see, we see survivors, but we certainly see these families that, that lose that child. And it's just part of being who you are and, and using what you have. In this case, our resources, hunting, fishing, the outdoors, and then our lives and our hearts to reach into a family situation and to give them a reason to wake up and to keep fighting. So it's it's a challenge, but it's easy, Bobby. It, it's not a problem. Uh, it's very, very gratifying, to say the least. Mm. Well, I tell you, you guys are doing God's work. That's exactly right. There, there's no doubt about that. And uh, we wish you, uh, look, it's just we, we want to help and support any way we can. Our listeners to this, catchadream.org is the website, and there's right. there's ways that they can go and learn about what you guys are doing, how to help, how to have a banquet possibly, donate money, whatever. I would highly encourage them. So proud of the juries and what they do. And, and boy, I'm just so so proud to have been associated with Mossy Oak for a long time and Mossy Oak being the first company to step mm-hmm. up and help you guys. It's not about attention. It's about doing the right thing. Absolutely. And uh, gosh, is is there one more story that you can tell? I just love hearing these stories. Yeah, I'll tell one more. And this is this is a story where I learned a real, real big life lesson. I think others could, could take heed. Uh, same ranch, by the way, as little Joe, but a different child. This is two or three, four years later. A big strapping 16-year-old offensive guard from Iowa, junior in high school, recruited by D1 schools all over the place as a football player, was diagnosed with a brainstem tumor. And if you know anything about brainstem tumors, they're not good news. So we had Tyler at Little Flat Creek Ranch on a deer hunt literally just three months before he ultimately passed away. He was already losing some capacities. He was partially paralyzed on one side. 
One of his eyes didn't work very well, so we literally had to put a patch over one eye so he could see okay out of the other and focus. But he was a big strapping kid and could shoot fine. We put him in the deer blind, and the first afternoon he was out 80 yards out in this clover field, he put the hammer down on a monster Missouri 10-point. I'm talking about 280-pound-looking deer. One shot, the deer hit the ground, kind of like Joe's did. Deer hit the ground and was stone-cold dead. So, again, there are four, five, six people in the blind with us, and I happen to be privileged to be in that blind again. And we celebrated. We took pictures in the blind. We celebrated. His mom cried. He cried. We cried. And as all that's happening, the guide looked out the window and said, oh, my gosh, that deer had stood up. This dead deer, after 10 minutes, had stood up. He hit that deer somewhere that just stunned him. It didn't hit a vital, apparently. And he walked off because we'd already unloaded the gun, and we were not in a hurry. So hurriedly, the gun gets reloaded, and, of course, the deer walks out of sight down into a, a ravine, literally, all night long and the next morning until nearly noon. All out APB search with dogs, the deer never was found. So here Tyler didn't sleep that night. He's already very weak. He's already very sick. He didn't sleep. You know, horror story. We've all been there. We shot a deer we can't find. And it's worse for a young man like that. Well, when it's all over at noon, Bill Roller comes walking in. He says, well, there's only one thing we can do, Marty. We're going again this afternoon. He said, our ranch has a policy that if you shoot it, it's your deer, unless it's catch a dream. He said, so Tyler, you're going back to another blind this afternoon, and we're going to my secret spot. He said, it always happens at the Ratliff blind. So there, there we went, literally back in another blind that afternoon. The last afternoon, Tyler would be able to be in camp. He had to fly back for some treatments the next day to Iowa. And I'm sitting there knowing it's going to happen because Bill Roller said it's going to happen. And if Bill Roller said it's going to happen, it's going to happen. He knew what he was doing. He knew his deer. He knew his property. It's a slam dunk. We got in the blind at 3 o'clock, and at that time it's getting dark, probably 6.30ish. 6 o'clock, we hadn't seen a single deer. 6.15, no deer. 6.25, no deer. And I glance over the corner at Bill Roller sitting right next to Tyler, catch his eye and he catches mine and I see a tear come down his cheek. Mm. And, and I don't think the family saw this, but as Bill caught my eye, he just kind of shook his head slowly as if to tell me, Marty, it's not going to happen. Well, you know, I've been sitting there hoping and praying it's going to happen. And Tyler's sitting there and, and this young man, this is his dream and it's about to end. And just as the bill told me, no, it's not going to happen, I hear this voice. And I know we talk about hearing the voice. But this was a voice. And this voice said this. It said, Marty, who are you trusting to make this happen? Bill Roller or me? And I'll tell you, it was the Lord speaking to me because I needed to learn a lesson. The lesson was, just like the verse we share with these children, Isaiah 40, 31 says, but those who hope in the Lord will renew their strength. Not those who hope in Bill Roller or Bobby Cole or Dudley or Annie or Marty. Those who hope in the Lord will renew their strength. And what the Lord was telling me is I was trusting the wrong source. Bill Roller's a human being, just like I am. So I just said, you know, Lord, forgive me. And if it can happen, please let it happen. 
And I don't know if it was two seconds or two minutes. It wasn't five minutes because we only had five minutes of daylight left. I see Bill Roller tighten up and suddenly his neck gets a little stiff and he looks to his left, which is toward me. And I look out the window to my left and coming down this trail, down this hill, right toward the food plot is this monster Missouri monarch. Walked down the trail, literally stopped 30 yards out in front of the blind. Tyler took one more shot. This one ran off 30 yards and crumbled and never got up. Because Bill Roller had a gun aimed on him the whole time <laughs> to make sure, but he never got up. Well, the moral to that story is this. There's a place where we can place our trust and our hope and our faith. There's a place we should never place our trust and our hope and our faith. It's not in our frailty. The Lord will provide. Now, he doesn't always provide a kill. Okay, we'll know, want you to know that. But he always takes care and helps us accomplish the mission. And that was one of the greatest lessons I've learned ever in life is be very careful where you place your trust and your faith. And we were able to share that with Tyler the next that evening at our presentation time as we shared the vision and the mission of Catch a Dream, shared Isaiah 40, 31 with him. And literally to this day, I get emails from his mom. This has been 16 or 17 years, still saying you have no idea how Catch a Dream changed our lives, period. Didn't save Tyler physically, medically, but it changed the lives of a whole family. And we hear those kind of stories a lot. And that's just one of the most extremes that I happen to be involved in. And I think about that lesson every day. We have to be very careful about where we put our faith and our hope. Got some more chill bumps. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know what, what to say after that. No. It, uh, this is, that's as real as it gets. It, it really is. Dudley, you get, you, what are you thinking? I'm, I don't know. I'm I'm having a hard time making words, <laughs> and uh, we've got this trivia for him. But yeah, okay. Can we ask you some trivia questions? So, so yeah, how do you parlay that into trivia? <laughs> yeah. So but look, this is some. The, the, it's a fantastic organization. There's a lot of stuff that's popped up through the years of taking kids and of taking military uh, veterans, and some of it. You know, you wonder if if it's be, the money you send might be actually going to that purpose. But I can assure anybody listening to this that any money or help given to Catch a Dream is is going to help those kids. It it, it just really is. And uh, so, look, you you've touched a lot of people. That, um, we've got seventeen people listening to this thing now, Marty. So uh, and maybe a few more. But look, thank you for being here. Catchadream.org, www.catchadream.org is where they go. We want you to have some fun while you're here. We enjoyed having you and getting you to yeah. tell the story. And we prepared just a couple of trivia questions. We thought you might get a kick. We learned you're from Mobile, Alabama. That's right. That's where I grew up. So we prepared these questions around Mobile. So, Dudley, if you don't <laughs> mind. All right. All right. Yes, sir. All right. So question one, uh, and this one's true or false. Mobile, Alabama receives more rain than – more annual rain than Seattle, Washington. I'm going to say that's false. Ooh. Right out of the gate, he missed one. Yeah. <laughs> Mobile, believe well, it or not, has more fog. I know that. Probably yeah. so. Yeah. Mobile 
barely has more rain. Yeah, but that's a, <laughs> that's a surprising statistic. Yeah, Mobile surprising. Alabama. What is yeah. it, 60 inches or so, somewhere in that range? I, I don't know. Yeah, I'm going to say 60 inches or so in Mobile. But, but we, what we read was Seattle, uh, it gets more than Seattle. Really? Yep, yep. Was that Wikipedia? No, that was not Wikipedia. <laughs> yeah. It was the internet. <laughs> oh, right. Oh, you know it's true then. All right, so uh, next, the first fire ants, our non-native invasive fire ants, <laughs> were first introduced to the U.S. in the 1930s through the Port of Mobile. Is that true or false? I don't know about the 1930s, but I know they came into Mobile first. Yep, that's true. True. Dang it, dang. All right. Okay, let me see if I can read this one. Okay. One of the country's best and most celebrated Major League Baseball players is from Mobile. Who is he? Well, there's a bunch of them. Hank Aaron was one. Yeah, that's the one we were looking for right there. <laughs> He's on a roll. You have won a Gamekeeper Bertucci watch. Hey, wow. <laughs> All your effort for traveling over here is yes, a long trip. All right, I've got a bonus. You can, you can redeem yourself on number one. I don't know how much you watch YouTube, but uh, anyway. I'm out. Or, or, <laughs> <yeah>. <laughs> you watching TikTok, too? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> what community in Mobile is the infamous Mobile Leprechaun from? Well, I don't know. I'll say Pritchard or Chickasaw. Do, do you know about the... I don't know about yeah. the leprechaun. Okay. Well, so there was a uh, in 2006 there was a, a lep, uh, an Irish folklore leprechaun was really? seen in in this community. I and it made the it. news, and it's got millions of views on probably YouTube. where I grew up. Then. They I said it know. was one of the first viral videos. Really? Okay. But uh, the community is called Crichton. Okay. So. Well, see, that's right there between Chickasaw and Pritchard. So well, then, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> All right. Well, you got the Bertucci watch. So, (laughs) well, we have enjoyed having you, Um, guys. I'm kind of looking around the room. Do y'all want to do an Ask Dudley, or are we leaving it on this note, or do y'all want to do one? Let's Ask Dudley. You know, I'm always up for a little bit of tree talk. Okay. Well, Marty, do you mind staying for a few minutes? We we always ask Dudley. A a listener asked Dudley a question. I'm having fun. Absolutely. So we've got a good one, especially this time of year. Hey, Dudley, can you tell me exactly what you do to pre-prep your planting holes to get trees to grow the fastest? I know you've touched on it on your YouTube videos, but it's been a while and some things may have changed. Thanks, Jeff in Southwest Virginia. Hmm. Okay. Well, Jeff, um, a lot of that depends on your soil type. So, some folks have a just a dreamy, sandy loam that they can punch a dibble in and lean back, and it just, you know, I don't want to say cracks open. It just opens up, and then you can set your seedling in there and tamp it shut, and you're good to go. But the majority of folks will absolutely benefit from uh, doing some pre-prep if, if they have time. And uh, what I recommend to do is to get some pin flags and walk around and uh, find your spots that you want to plant your trees. So you've done that. Uh, then you can get some uh, either some non-selective herbicide or maybe even some mulch. And, and you can put some mulch down to kill uh, the weeds and grasses underneath it or just a quick squirt with some non-selective herbicide. Um, and then wait a couple of weeks for all that vegetation to die back. Um, 
And then you can come back to where your pin flags are and your dead vegetation is, pull your mulch back. Then you get a shovel and uh, dig a hole, maybe, you know, two to three feet wide and chop it up. And then, uh, you know, all the roots are dead. So it's going to be a lot easier to do that. Um, and then just borrow a, a couple of scoops from off to the side um, and sometimes I'll actually make what looks like a moat around it to borrow my, my extra dirt from. And so by the time you're done, you have what looks like a miniature pitcher's mound. And it doesn't have to be that pretty because you're going to wait a little bit longer for a couple of rain events, uh, maybe some freeze and thaw. But, you know, it can be anywhere from two weeks to two to three months. Um, but when you come back to it, You've got a really nice, loose, tilthy soil to plant your tree into. And you also have a really good rooting of environment. Um, you know how farmers plant stuff on top of a row uh, that's really aerated, loose soil that uh, will give your tree, uh, one, it saves a lot of time on planting, t planting day, but it also gives you know the roots uh easy soil to move into and give your tree a head start. Um, it's kind of like, you know, we, it's easier to have a, your tomatoes in a raised bed. They grow faster. And so you're basically putting your tree in a little miniature raised bed to just flourish the first couple of years. So that's it. Thank you, Mr. Know-it-all. Hey, it works. Yep. It, it takes really extra time and it's, it's not necessary but if you have the time to do it. Um, and the beauty of that is you can, you can order your trees and pick a ship date that's up to six weeks out from when you order. So that can give you time to do some pre-preparation. Get your site prepped. Yep. It's interesting that the hole that you're digging is two or three feet wide, and that little cup that you're putting in there is only four or five inches wide. Yeah, uh, but you know, it's just giving a lot of extra room for those roots to go. Yeah, that's TLC for sure. Right. Yeah, they got to get the roots established before they can grow up. Yeah. I mean, that's what they yeah, I, I think it's fascinating for people to learn that because I think most people would not dig a hole that large. Right. And learning why and what happens if they do it, the, if they'll go to some extra trouble, it's all the difference in the world. Absolutely. And deadly hit on it, but you want that water to drain off of it. You know what I mean? So Right. Having it slightly mounded is also uh, kind of dummy proofing it because mm -hmm. I've, I've done this myself where I've, pre-dug my holes like with a auger on a on a on the back of a tractor and you think you get all the dirt back in there but then you you plant your tree and then come back a couple months later and it's sunken Sunk. yeah and that's like a death wish for your tree you avoid that. so if if you can mound it up a little bit so that water sitting on top yeah. of the roots there and is just not a the, good thing just use the dirt you've got on hand uh absolutely don't put any potting soil or anything in there just Good, good old fashioned dirt. Good old dirt. Well, that's yep. good. Yeah. So let's let, we're ending on a good note. We taught some people. You, you specifically taught our listeners something. That's good. Yeah. So, Lanny, you got anything to add? I uh, know. Just do everything you can to support Cats a Dream. You know, like Marty said, it's um, it's it's a it's a great organization. You you can trust them one hundred percent with where your resources are going to the to the best of causes. So. 
get out there and let's raise some money for them. I totally agree. So look, guys, don't forget on Tuesday nights, uh, the Gamekeeper Television Show is on the Outdoor Channel at 8 o'clock Central. What's airing next week? What's airing this week? Uh, next week is the Alligator Show. Oh, Mac Mac. So, yeah, I think that's right. So uh, so anyway, guys, check out the Gamekeeper Show. It's, it's well worth the trouble of looking for it. So, all right, well, we need to get on out of here. So uh, say goodbye, Dudley. Goodbye, Dudley. Get us out of here, Mac. See you later, Cleveland. <laughs> Thanks for tuning in to this week's episode of the Gamekeeper Podcast. And be sure to tune in again. Subscribe to Gamekeeper Farming for Wildlife magazine. And don't miss the Mossy Oak Properties Fistful of Dirt podcast with my good buddy, Ronnie Cuz Strickland. <laughs>